Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, introducing your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today we have Roland and Galena Denzel, the authors of Eat Well, Move Well, Live Well, and a variety of other books, 52 Ways to Feel Better in a Week. You can check out their website, eatmovelive5252.com. Roland is a weight loss coach whose first client was himself. He was overweight for the first 35 years of life and lost over 100 pounds in 2003 and has kept it off since. And Galena specializes in helping people with chronic pain and helps her clients return to a life of functional movement after an injury, accident, or trauma through a variety of corrective exercises and healing modalities. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. It's so good to be on. Thank you. So you guys have written lots of books, and I guess, you know, I think it's very intriguing, people listening, um, to maybe start with you, Roland, and talk about the 100-pound weight loss, because, I mean, that is huge, and um, it's something that I know, you know, we have such an obesity epidemic in our country, so I'd love to hear about your experience with that, and, you know, what led you into this world? Well, you know, I kind of grew up sort of sedentary, uh, sedentary, overweight, um, kind of go went between like chubby and fat, you know, all my life. And I tried a lot of different things over the, over the years, but really when I got about 35, my, I was walking up the stairs to get my, my daughter a glass of water. And she said, uh, Oh dad, you didn't have to run. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I didn't run. I just barely walked up the stairs and I was totally out of breath. And that was sort of like the, the wake up call that not only that I wanted to lose weight, but I wanted to, which I had done it many, so many times before, but I really wanted to, to keep it off. So at that point, I sort of made a, a plan to lose the weight, but sort of mentally, I'd made a shift to always have a plan. Like I was always, I was going to, if things weren't working, I would continue that path until I found something, something new and just sort of never get off that plan again. So before when I had been, I would get, you know, dissatisfied with the diet, I would get sad or upset or something like that. I would just drop the plan and go back and figure I would start something again later. And, you know, like the late, the hardest thing to do is the starting part is the hardest part. So if you can just stay on a plan. So I went through many diets over the years, started with just with counting calories and then got into, you know, more focused on the food and the nutrition side. And that's where really I, I find it the easiest to do now. It's, like it's, it's almost like mindless to do now, as long as I remind myself that I, that I have a goal and I have a plan and um, focus on the, on the real food aspects of it. And, uh, and I've been pretty successful. Nice. And what about you, Galena? What brought you into this world of healing modalities and helping people? You know, I, I had a very different path. I grew up dancing 
and uh, got sick in my mid-teenage years. So I had to stop dancing. I went down with, you know, what now I would call massive amounts of inflammation, but then it just looked like asthma and and lots of intestinal issues. And so I had to stop dancing because my body just couldn't do it. And through my own recovery in my late teens, I discovered eating healthy as a way to kind of take that ownership back of my body and my own health. Um, ended up um, majoring in a completely unrelated field. And then when I had graduated and started work, I was just so dissatisfied and um, went back into teaching people how to train. I was a personal trainer at the time and then little by little moved more into working with pain and um, different special populations. And that's been my life for the last 15 years. And it's been incredible. But my own path just kind of took me through there. I'm very grateful for that. And I know both of you have a health co- coaching practice here in Orange County, California. You serve local and online clients and you also have a podcast. And we want to get into the book a little bit. Um, what, let's talk about this book, you have several, and we'll, we can mention those later, but Eat Well, Move Well, Live Well, 52 Ways to Feel Better in a Week. Um, who would you say this guide is for, this book is for? Gosh, this book is for the person who feels like there's too much information out there and it's too complicated to sort it out. There's this, I'm sure you're familiar with this idea that people just get paralyzed by knowing too much. And back in the day, there wasn't that much information. So it was easy to act on something. And now we're just all paralyzed in our society by just the overwhelming amount of information and options and different role models and different media influences. So people tend to not do anything or just get kind of disillusioned or even cynical about their health. And so what we wanted to do with um, 52 ways to feel better in a week was give people bite-sized pieces of information as well as actionable items they could try right away. Because let's face it, if you don't try it, you don't really know it. If you don't do it, you don't really know it. So shifting that focus from information to action and baby steps. When, when we started, when we were sort of brainstorming like what we wanted out of this book from the very beginning, one of the things that we talked about was the importance of giving somebody the feeling of success. So we looked at every one of these these lessons or every one of these chapters and thought about what can we do to make sure that at the end of that that week or that two weeks that they've tried it, that they have succeeded in one way or another, because it's that feeling of success that sort of propels you on to try something, to try the next step. And every time you feel a sense of failure, um, then, then it's a setback and it's sort of, uh, it's sort of dissolute can disillusion you on the whole thing. So even though like it might be a small, like, a, like Galena says, a baby step, if it was a successful step and you felt a little bit of a sense of accomplishment at the minimum, you're going to, you're more, much more likely to go on to the next step. I really like the whole notion of, um, you know, just the idea you mentioned about prescribing lifestyle as a medicine. That's a really great way to look at this, right? Instead of a lot of people looking at it like a sacrifice or suffering, (laughs) if you can just sort of switch the mind frame to like, hey, this is my medicine, you know, this is what's going to help me heal. So I loved, I love that. I want to talk about a couple of points in your book, things that I think everyone can benefit 
from now who are listening, one of the things that's sort of a, a practical item um, is that Sunday food ritual, right? Cooking ahead um, and de-stressing that part of it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a major stress point for people. We were all so busy and um, all the time. Like, so whether we're truly busy or whether we think we're busy or whether we're busy with things that are important or busy with things that probably aren't, we all feel so overwhelmed these days. And when it comes time to to eat better, people feel like their head, head's going to explode. Oh, I have to do all of these things. I have to eat perfect this week or I have to eat better this week. What am I going to do? So one of the things that we've done for many years is to, is to do some sort of a batch cooking on one or two nights a week. And it doesn't have to be, I mean, it, it could be as simple as making a, a huge pot of veggie, veggie chili or a stew that you eat over several nights. But people tend to get sort of, uh, you know, tired of eating the same thing night after night, three nights in a row, let's say. So one of the things that we, we like to do is take something like a roast or, um, or a stewed chicken or something like that, that you can make in a large amount and then repurpose over multiple, multiple meals. So the first night you might have that, you know, just basic, like I said, a roast, like a roast pork or a roast beef or a roast chicken. And then you eat part of it, eat a third of it, let's say. And then the next night you're going to make it into sort of a super stew and add some simple vegetables or a salad on the side. And then on night three, you have like tacos or a taco salad with just some simple little added ingredients. It's so simple. If you have the, the, the thing that takes the most, A, if you have a plan, it's so much easier. It's mentally allows you to relax and focus on other things, not on the food. And then having that plan me and having that, the variety or that choice over those three or four different nights is, uh, it just makes it so much easier. And let's talk about sort of slow cooking. Cause you, you know, you emphasize that a lot of times people are churning up steaks and they're eating charred high heat cooked meals a lot. Right. So if you could, you know, give the audience a snapshot of, of why that's better. And also obviously the crock pot is just a miracle uh, device <laughs> to begin with when it comes to sort of ease of which you can create meals for a few days, but let's talk about slow cooking. Yeah. So slow cooking has a couple of benefits. First it's uh, because it's a lower heat and it's a moist heat it, uh, it, you know, it reduces a lot of the sort of the negative, I guess the negative things as, as far as the high heat cooking, the charring, the, the things that people are concerned about with cancer causing agents and things like that, just by that low, slow simmering. And it tends to make things a easy and foolproof, but also tender, moist, and um, easily, you know, easily cut up and shredded. And you don't have to, it takes the, like if you put a roast in the oven, you really have to keep an eye on it because you have to be sure to not overcook it. Or if you undercook it, how much longer do I put it in the oven? And um, there's just a lot of room for failure, especially with a newer, a new cook. So, but one of the things that is the, the biggest part of a, the biggest benefit of a slow cooker is when you get up in the morning and you put this thing in this, put your, your, your meat or your chicken or whatever in the slow cooker, that's when you're mentally fresh. So you have the mental ability to get things going and, you know, set it, set it up. And then, you know, 
throughout the day that you have this slow cooked meal going at home. So it's sort of like a comfort, like, oh, I know that everything is taken care of at home. And when I get home, I'm going to be okay. So it allows you to sort of mentally relax, focus on on the other things and come home to a, to a healthy meal that's pretty much taken care of. I love that you also, um, you, you, you explain food propaganda, you get into, you know, the list of all the bad guys and the things that you should eliminate. So it's a very practical book, a great how to. Um, I also really love the quote you threw in there from, um, is it Thich Nhat Hanh or Thich Nhat Hanh? I don't know how to pronounce his name, um, but a great spiritual leader, right? On thinking about our food when we eat. I mean, we've all been told, like, you know, chew your food 30 times. And, mm. But for people, and, you know, I really like this, too, because um, people with hypothyroidism who are healing, right? The, and in my book, The Paleothyroid Solution, they the digestion slows, the, the level of hydrochloric acid becomes less, digestion, constipation, these are issues. So while someone's healing, it's even more important that they do this, that they chew the food and that they're really making sure it's mixing with the saliva. And I just like the idea of, I mean, how many times do we stand and just shove something in our face? I know I do it still, you know what I mean? But, but the idea of really taking the time and thinking about what we eat and making that a little bit more of a of a moment. And obviously doing something like a slow cooker would allow one to do that because then you didn't just get through the stress of cooking a whole thing and you have to work and now you're going to sit down and you're just starving, right? So if you could just touch on that ritual. Yeah. It's almost like these practices start building on each other. And the more you practice, the more you become aware of how they're sort of synergistic. So like you said, making a slow cooked meal allows you to then attend to your meal with a little bit more focus, a little bit more awareness in the moment. If you come home absolutely starving, ravenous, tired from being at the store, tired from making all those last minute decisions while tired, you're not going to have the willpower and the impulse control that it takes to remind yourself about what's actually important because you're in survival mode, right? You're not in thriving mode. And slowing down your food is one of the most important ways to sort of re-befriend food again, because so many of us have these expectations out of food, like you're just going to open a container or have a shake and just, you know, slug it down. And it's almost becomes a nuisance, which is absolutely not the way that being in a healing relationship with food should be. Um, And as you talked about thyroid disease and different autoimmune conditions, we know how important digestion and assimilation is, and that starts in your mouth. And it actually starts even before that, when you're just touching your food and looking at your food and taking in all the aromas and the colors and the textures um, through your, through all of your five senses, right? Uh, Our, our good friend, Barbara Loomis, always says, you know, when you haven't touched your food and prepared your food, it's almost like an unexpected guest plops up in your belly. So your body doesn't know what to expect. Whereas if you have put in the time to touch and feel your food and prepare your food and slow down with it, your body knows what to expect. So that first brain phase, cephalic phase of digestion has already started. So then when you sit down and chew your food and enjoy your food and swallow your food, your body's already going at it. So there's no unexpected guest flopping in your belly. I love that metaphor. And then the other thing is when we slow down, we end up eating less. So we end up being satisfied sooner. We avoid overeating. And we also get acquainted with that idea of how much is enough, 
so many of us have no idea of how much is enough. I'm sure that your clients all the time probably ask you, well, how much should I eat? And when you tell them, well, just eat until full, they have no idea what that feels like. And unless you have a mindful practice of recalibrating that for yourself, you're not going to know. Yeah. And being a fast eater, you know, sometimes that, well, that used to be an issue, you know, because if you eat, you know, you're eating too fast, you're not paying attention, then all of a sudden you're, you've overeaten and now you've kind of ignited some, an inflammatory process too. And I think people don't realize that overeating is also inflammation. And, um, I can attest to that as someone who used to overeat even healthy foods. It doesn't matter what the quality of the foods are, but you can overstuff yourself. And I think that that's part of this intuitive process we all talk about here, the primal blueprint, finding what's right. And you start to realize over time, right, as you get healthier, that you need less to be satisfied. And it's, it's, I'm sure you have clients, especially probably overeating obese clients that that's a real mind change to make because what you once thought was the quote proper amount of food or a full meal becomes less and less. And that's just a mind thing, right? You have to kind of get away from that social construction that this bigger plate is what should be. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And you know, I come from a different culture. So for me, I've been in the US for a five and a half years now. And it keeps being just such a shock. Sometimes when I see a plate, I'm like, oh, did they get our order wrong? And it's just the amount of food that is culturally accepted to be normal is really weird. And Roland has the same shocks when he comes over to to Eastern Europe with me, where he'll order a salad and he'll get like three pounds of vegetables. He's like, what just happened here? Like, why? Like, I have like five tomatoes in my salad. And it's the reverse, right? Where vegetables are such a big part of our culture over there. It's just like, wow, it's so easy to eat healthy here. For me, slowing down my food has been, because I was overweight, obese, chubby all my life, I had this sort of an an untrue expectation of what full is right. So my, I had been overfull for so many years. And so you get to, you sort of need to recalibrate that sense of fullness and slowing down allowed me to feel full when I was actually full instead of like overshooting it and then winding up, you know, over. And I, and I don't know how true, you know, how true it is that they talk about stretching your stomach, but you certainly stretch the 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 connection between your your stomach and your brain when you constantly are overstuffing yourself and that can be reversed as well so like now i'm more satisfied without that feeling of uh, over, over full where before i was almost like addicted to that that over full feeling yes i i understand that i used to be there too it's almost like that's um a whole nother little addiction to get rid of within these food <laughs> you know one of the things that disappears over time Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I work with people on the way they sense their bodies and the way that they they perceive different sensation in their bodies on a daily basis in in my studio. And one thing that we notice, which is really interesting, the better you become at noticing the internal sensations of your body, whether it's like, oh, I have this tingling or I have this blood flow that I'm feeling right now, or this ache is actually a constriction, right? The more specific you get, the better my clients get at feeling their fullness, even though we're not working on their eating barely at all in my studio I work with movement but it has this carryover so every time you get more in your body and become a better feeler of your internal states and internal internal sensations that carries over 
So it's almost like reminding your brain to just keep going in there and getting fresh present time information, or otherwise you're working on these ideas from the past. And maybe in the past it did take Roland or you or me, you know, four peaches to feel like we've had enough fruit, but now maybe one is enough. Right. And what about, I, I know that, you know, this is just like a popular tagline lately about, you know, sitting is the new smoking. And so a lot of people, a lot of people are going to go, uh, that's a bunch of BS. Clearly smoking is way worse, but, but let's get into that. I mean, obviously one of the things, you know, is that, um, excess sitting is a major contributor to constipation. That's one of them along with some other things. Can you guys just get into a few, you know, a few bullet points on, on why sitting is so bad and, and the things that we can do to adjust that. Because obviously we want to stand all day either. That's not necessarily the best. But I, I'd love you to transition into your no couch situation uh, on this topic. So if someone could sort of uh, take us through that. So it's interesting that you say that because we joke at home that soon standing will be the new smoking, right? <laughs> right. Because, because every time we say this one thing is bad and we vilify it, then we go with an alternative that is not that different. I mean, Roland will probably start with that, that we are sitting because people were getting sick standing, right? Yeah. And during the industrial revolution, people stood to work. So that, you know, factories were starting up and um, you, we all see these pictures of like presidents of the olden days where they're standing behind their desks to write and all those kinds of things. But so back then, like it was pretty common for people to be standing. And then like you'd get concrete floors or cobblestone floors, all these things. So people were standing all day long and working longer and longer hours, not moving around because there were assembly lines, all these things being produced. And people started to get really bad back pain, foot pain, um, all sorts of things. The same types of things that we're seeing now with too much sitting were there with too much standing. So like the unions and guilds and things like that demanded better working conditions. And one of those things that they that they got, hooray, was was desks and chairs. And now everyone could, could sit all day long. And then, you know, so years later, we're in, in the same boat. So we like to joke that, you know, sitting still you know, is maybe the new smoking because I don't really think it's as catchy a phrase. So I doubt it'll catch on. But, um, but when you, whether you, you know, if you pick one position and even if you perfect it, like with all the best ergonomics, and then you stick with that position all day long, you're going to have the same problems because you're sitting still and you're in one position. If you could pick, um, not, well, pick is the wrong word. If you can assume multiple positions ever changing throughout the day periodically, then you would be much healthier. And also, you know, we we're always looking for how do I improve or how do I perfect that thing I'm already doing instead of thinking, well, what else can I do around it? And a lot of the studies are showing, you know, even getting up for a few minutes every half hour can have incredible benefits, um, both on, you know, blood sugar regulation and and uh, insulin and uh, fat burning hormones and your intestinal motility, all of that. So 
instead of perfecting sitting, you can break up your sitting. So you can have regular breaks, you can have a stand sit workstation, you can have different options of sitting, maybe on the floor, maybe if you're in an office, you can be on a ball, you can be on a couple of different chairs, a couple of different standing options. And then taking enough walking breaks and movement breaks throughout the day, where you are a constantly changing, constantly moving, constantly adjusting, where your sitting is more of a dynamic process than a static end goal that you're going to get perfect. You know, there's this, there's this saying that there is no balance. There's only balancing. It's the same with sitting. There is no, it's not a static thing. And we just bring that to people in a way that they can start thinking about it. If you are always in that 90 degree, you know, hips, legs relative to your hips and torso position in your car, in your office chair, in your restaurant chair, in your dining chair at home? What are those opportunities where you don't have to be in that position so that you can really break it up and have all these different geometric positions for your joints and bones and muscles and all your connective tissue and your organs? So one thing that we're doing at home and we invite our students to do is to go furniture free which doesn't mean, you know, take your couch and throw it out the patio, which you can definitely do. We, we donated our couch to Goodwill. But just creating an environment at home where you're not in the same geometrical position as you are when you are at work or in your car. So if you've already been sitting for eight hours, you don't need to come home and sit more in the same configuration. Maybe you can stand a little bit. Maybe you can sit on the floor. Maybe you can sit on a you know, a cushion, a yoga bolster, a, a block, a low ottoman, you can roll, you can lay on the floor, you can use all of your implements for self-myofascial release, like foam rollers and massage balls, and maybe do a little bit of stretching on the floor. And it's, it's interesting, people don't have a problem going to a stretching class or a yoga class and paying money to sit on the floor, but you tell them to sit on the floor at home and it's like, no, 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 I'm just, no, that, that's for, that's for exercise. So yeah, we have compartmentalized our life where it's okay to have these quote unquote healthy behaviors in exercise class, but at home, home is for resting. And it's just a construct of how we think about things. It's not necessarily something that's actually true. And so we give a lot of examples in our book and also we have a lot of video resources with the book. So there's some of that on our website. We actually have a, a tour of our home and the different positions for working that we have, whether they're standing or sitting on the ground. And it's just incredible to start practicing that. And also thinking about each time you get to your couch and off your couch, you don't really do a full range of motion of your hips. But every time you get to the ground, it's like a full squat or half squat. And you go through all these, you know, movements that are inherently human movements since our development, like half lunges, and you're going to get up with a different angle to your foot or your knee. Instead of going to the gym, you know, we go to the gym and we have this quote unquote form for exercises, because if you want to load your frame, you better have good form, right? But in that free body weight movement at home, getting up and down off the ground, you can do billions of variations of angles and, and movements for your, your bones and joints and soft tissues. And that's incredibly helpful. One of the best things you can, I grew up with, with, we, we didn't have a, we had chairs and not sofas in every room. So, but we had floor cushions all over the place because we had, there were four kids and not enough places for everyone to sit. And so 
But as we got older and older, like we stopped using the floor cushions because yeah, I had to get up and down from the ground and or the, the parents would say, oh, sit on the couch, sit on the couch. But so like one of the best things you can do is like if you have kids is is stop telling them to to sit in the chair because kids kids love Tell them to get on the floor. Yeah. Like I was told, don't do your homework laying on the ground, like, or don't do your homework sitting on the ground, come up, sit at the desk or sit at the table. That's right. I think everyone's heard that from a parent. Yeah. So like, stop doing that. Just like, let them like, you know, why let them assume the position that they want to be in for that day or for that task and let them, let them go with it. I was working on a resource for parents and helping their kids move more last year. And one of the things that I was discussing in it was how often parents tell their kids to sit still, sit still, don't play with your hands, don't tap your foot, don't look around, we're at a restaurant, sit still. And then the same parent will come to me and say, my kid's not moving enough. I'm like, <laughs> do, you, do you want your kid to sit still or do you want your kid to move? Because we need to meet somewhere in the middle and see what kind of messages we're sending. And you can imagine the little ones, just how horribly confused they are. It's very hard for the little, you know, the young minds to know, okay. Well, because naturally we're not meant to sit still, right? So of course a young growing person with not as much abstract thinking as an adult is going to be fidgety a little bit. Yeah. And it's really hard for their young minds to differentiate between, oh, my mom said sit still, oh, but that was just at that particular instance. So that was just that, you know, right. like they're like, oh, sit still. So now it's drilled into their head that they got to be sitting still all the time. Well, or it's rude. Like oftentimes we think about it's rude. I have these more, you know, older clients in their 50s and 60s where they say it's rude to keep my hips back over my heels or it's rude to sit the way you have me sit with my knees wider than my hips. That's rude. And I was like, how? And, and having low back pain is cool. Like how, <laughs> how are we going to, to reconcile these? So you bump up against all these beliefs we have. This cultural. Or at the sake of being rude and having what other, and caring about what other people's opinions are you, you're actually being really rude to your body. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just so weird. Like Roland, Roland has a day job in a, in a corporation and he stands all the time and People are like, why are you standing? Like, do you want a chair? Like, you don't, what? Like, they're so concerned. Yeah. So I try to explain to them, you know, like, well, I just drove an hour to get here. And I, you know, or that was sitting and I sat in your waiting room waiting for you. And like, I, we're going to go over there. We're going to sit over there to work on this thing on the computer. But right. So right now I'm good standing. Uh, I want to talk about something that's really important. And um, I, I love this part. I feel like I found the holy grail of poop charts in your <laughs> in your book. Um, I mean, seriously, this is great. So you have like a whole drawing of a variety of poops and you explain it. And I love that it's just really in there. I think everybody needs to take a look at that. But one of the things I want you guys to get into, this comes up, it's come up before, I've experienced in the past where, you know, people don't understand out there that having regular gas after eating and, you know, bloating is not healthy. And especially with the gas, even if people aren't feeling bloated, and I've been there where I've had unhealthy, you know, eating or, or gut biome. And then it's like, I, I'm, I'm feeling like I sometimes can't be around, not, not anymore, but like couldn't be around people or after dinner or after going on a meal with someone. I feel like I literally have to like hold in gas. And I know there's a lot of people out there that feel that way and have regular gas. And I remember someone even telling me that their husband has horrible gas. And I'm like, that's not normal. It's not 
normal. So I'd really like you guys to get into that because it really isn't. And when you get healthy and you eat properly, you see how unnormal it is because now you're living a life where you're not worried about being around other people after a meal. There's no holding anything in, which by the way, that's a stressful thing. You're holding in your gas. And, you know, so, so I just, that's just like such a telltale sign of you're unhealthy and need to get with the program. So if you could explain that because people need to know this. Gosh, there's, there's like a normalizing, right? You, you're always comparing, not you, but one always compares themselves to those people around them, right? So if you have a gassy husband, I'm gassy, my husband's gassy, it must be normal. Or my favorite thing is when, you know, some of my clients will consult with um, more kind of like traditional GI doctor and they'll say, oh, it's absolutely normal to have just three bowel movements a week. And I'm like, your doctor's probably constipated. Like <laughs> there's nothing normal about having just three bowel movements a week. And so it's like, who do we compare ourselves to, right? So that's the first thing. And then starting to really pay attention. Like how does this food make me feel? And how many people are feeling super gassy because they're not chewing their food properly? or they're swallowing air when they're eating. That's a very common one. I work with that all the time with my clients. They're talking and eating and swallowing air. It's crazy. Or they're drinking drinks that are, you know, promoting gas or they're they have some sort of, you know, intestinal inflammation or there's bacteria that's moved from their colon to their small intestine. It's not normal to be gassy like that. And the more we talk about it, the more we can be curious and be like, wow, I wonder why. Like, I wonder maybe there's a food that's making me gassy. Like, how common is it to have lactose intolerance? But people are like, oh, I can't live without cheese. So really speaking out about it and saying, you know what, it's not normal. It's not normal to be, have, what is it called, meteorism? Do you have that word in English? I don't <laughs> <laughs> this is what it's called in my native language. It's not normal to have that much, you know, that much gas in there. And you can actually see it. Like I've seen intestinal ultrasounds of myself. You can actually see it floating. They're like little clouds in there, just kind of floating around. And that has so much pressure and tension for your internal organs. And what happens in return is you can't really activate and coordinate your abdominal musculature. Like your body has these pressure chambers in it, right? So you have where the lungs are, and then we have your internal organs where your viscera sits. And there's an appropriate amount of pressure in there. And when it gets more pressurized from the inside out, like when you have more gas because you haven't properly digested your food or you have some sort of a microbiome issue, or you maybe you took too many antibiotics, like we don't know what leads people there, but there's different routes to get there. You cannot properly activate your abdominal musculature because that means creating even more pressure. And when there's more pressure, what will happen is either it'll move up so it can create things like hiatal hernias or move down and create things like a pelvic floor prolapse, right? Or move forward and create something like an inguinal hernia or a diastasis recti, right? And so your brain is really doing its best do not let you create more pressure in there. So that's how we get our weak abdominal muscles and our weak backs and more pain and more discomfort. And what does the person in more pain and discomfort do? They move less, which means less intestinal motility, right? Your organs can't get the proper movement from the outside to churn and keep peristalsis going. 
And you eat more bad food to make yourself feel good because bad food helps you feel better temporarily. So you feed into that cycle, you know, gassy and bloated, more pain, less movement, more crappy food. And some people have been in it for 20, 25 years when they come to you or to us. It, just to be clear, a little bit of gas is, is normal. Like, oh, of course, it, right. It, yes. it, it's normal to, to fart every once in a while or to burp. Like when you breathe in, I mean, when, you're, when you swallow a little bit of air or you drink something carbonated like club soda or something like that, that those bubbles have to come out one end or the other. So it's a little bit normal. But it's when you are uncomfortable, when you can feel this going through your body and you can – I think if you go through a period of time where you're eating – more pure foods, more foods that are less likely to cause you gas, You then you notice the difference a little bit more. So I think it's what we talk about, that new normal. Like when you live in this condition, then you have for many years, whatever the condition is, you have, you've, like the overfull thing I was talking about earlier, you have set this baseline of what normal is for you, but it's not the true normal. It's just typical for what's going on right now. So you can recalibrate that as well. Tell us, um, I know you've worked with a lot of people. I'd love to hear some common objections that, you know, are little mental games, right? We play with ourselves <laughs> to not <laughs> to not move forward. I'd love to hear some of the excuses, objections, and some themes out there that have come from people who, you know, it's tough to make the change or they're resistant along the way because there might be people out there right now who have these same resistances. I'm sure you know where I'm going with that. Yeah. I mean, the biggest one for me is, you know, people reach out to us all the time and they're, I'm getting ready to start. I'm getting ready to start and I'm developing a plan, but they don't do even like the first little thing. Like they're, they're going to, so they're going to continue to not move. They're going to continue to eat as normal. They're going to continue to stay, you know, to, to stay up late and get up early and not get enough sleep, not get enough rest in general. And because they're waiting for this perfect plan. And, and then once they get the perfect plan, they're waiting for the perfect day to start that plan. So the biggest objection is that if the, 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 I guess the barrier that they're feeling that if they don't do everything, nothing's going to help where the opposite is true. Like every little thing you do contribute, I mean, every little bad thing you do contributes to poor health, right? So every little good thing you do brings you that much closer to good health. So there's no reason to not start with something. I mean, you can pick something right now and, and you know, flip to one of the 52 things in this book and start with that. And you are now a tiny little bit better. Right. So that's an all or nothing thing too, right? A little mind frame of, uh, well, if I can't do all of it, then I'm not going to do any part of it or right. and thinking that that will make a difference. But like you said, even just if like, if, if all you can do right now is just cut out the crappy oils, well, that's, you're already on your way. You don't have to lift a finger. Um, yeah. Right? But there's, there's more about like some of the objections that I'm just thinking just from this week, you know, like we could have an ob- objection blog post. Um, my spouse or my family doesn't support me. Yeah, that's a big one. So that's let's talk about that because people huge yeah. one. That's a that's a huge one. You know, feeling like you're not supported, feeling like you're not um you know, either the rest of your family is quote unquote healthy, which we know is you know, depending on who's looking and making that observation, but for most people, if somebody's not overweight, they're healthy. Like that's that's 
kind of like not looking past the surface of what we see. But if you are the overweight person at home or the person struggling with autoimmune disease or the person who's lactose intolerant, you're, you're pretty much many people feel like they're on their own. And then that becomes the barrier where they have now have the mindset of this is what support looks like to me. Support means my husband eating the healthy meal with me and eating the same chicken and, you know, sauteed butternut squash that I'm going to eat. And if he doesn't eat the same chicken and butternut squash, and if he bring pizza, brings pizza in, then he's sabotaging me and he doesn't love me, right? So that's the story we're telling ourselves. Whereas, in fact, the truth thing is, is that support can look like many different things. You can have a coach. You can have somebody at work. You can have an online support group. You can be a part of a forum. You can be a part of one of our Facebook groups. You can, you can have, you know, somebody else that you love and cares about you be your support system. So it's almost like this. You put your eggs in one basket. You know that the basket can't hold the eggs. And then you're like, well, sorry, can't do anything. So it becomes another barrier that you've created for yourself because on some other level, somewhere else, there's another thing that you feel you're, you you know, whether it is you don't feel deserving of good health or you feel like, you know, you, you, you might fail. And what's the point of trying if you're going to fail, right? Or that in the past, maybe you've tried and, and you regained the weight back and you don't want to experience the same pain. In general, most of us want to move away from pain. So that excuse that we make for ourselves is just our way to move away from pain. And I do it. And, you know, we all have our thing that we're moving away from pain. And so that's a big one. That's a big one is my family doesn't support me. You know, on that line, I was talking with someone once who um, was saying, you know, they, they really needed to do this for Hashimoto's and health reasons. And their spouse did not have these same health problems, but, you know, they were trying to work it in a like, well, if I can get my wife to be on board and clean out the house. And I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to do this for you. And it, if you're able to do it despite, you know, the kids eating whatever in the house or your wife not being on board, A, you're less likely to fail because then if your partner in crime here on your diet lifestyle change decides to cheat, you're more inclined to do it together, right? To be bad together. So there's that element as well. But I just feel like it's the ultimate in willpower and success when you can do it despite what's happening around you because that's how life is. You're going to be at restaurants where people are eating cake and, and stuff you're not going to want to eat. So to me, I feel like it's even better to do it without wrangling other people on board, if that makes sense. Right. Absolutely. That's well, a great know, way. Our, our first it. book, Man on Top, was it was focused primarily on, on men, but because men have, you know, men and women, we, we, we're starting to learn are different. And, <laughs> but men have, um, you know, mentally they, um, a lot of times they're, you know, they're, they're eating whatever the family eats at, at night. They eat whatever for breakfast and they're always eating out at lunch. I mean, they're like, if you're, you know, and the same thing goes with women. If you're working, you know, if you're working out of the home, you're, you're subjected to different rules and not every one of your meal, or at least you feel like not every one of your meals is in control. So one of the things with men specifically is that they, it's like, if they go on a diet, they want to change things and their family is not totally supportive of them. They just kind of give up. Well, you know, my wife may do whatever tonight for dinner. And, um, you know, that's just, I can't, I can't not eat that. 
because that would be rude. Um, but so one of the things that we teach them is to sort of take control of their, of their meals and say, you know, learn how to cook themselves. We give them simple, you know, simple recipes, but the biggest takeaway I think is that not everyone has to eat exactly like you to be supportive, but you also don't have to subject them to the foods that you need to eat to be healthy, especially if they are healthy themselves. So you know, you can make something that's a stew. And if you're watching your, you know, and if they want to have bread with their stew, you know, that's on them. You don't have to have the bread. But by by sort of providing these options and understanding the point of view that your family's coming from, because they may in their mind feel that they're totally supporting you by cooking a healthy meal that they think is healthy, but it doesn't jive with whatever your whatever your needs are. So you just have to kind of look at it from their point of view as well, because sometimes they are supportive and you just aren't feeling it. Well, and also too, it's like, I think sometimes people, at least for me, so sometimes my biggest mealtime is like three or three thirty, and it may not be in the classic dinner time, right? That everybody's doing that. And that can happen to people as they get fat adapted and get healthier. And, you know, when people say, Oh, well, well what do I do because of my dinner? It's like something you got to do what you got to do for you, for your health. And if that means you need to feed your kids later and you're eating at a different time and you're just sitting with them and having something small because you really needed to eat an hour or two before, you know what I mean? And again, I think these are built in sort of subconscious ways we can make excuses not to move forward on something. Absolutely. And like I said before, there are different reasons why we don't want to move forward or we don't feel like we deserve to move forward. Yet, unless we start to be successful in something, even if it's a small step, it's never going to happen. And life is too darn short for that. It really, really is. On that note, let's talk about, you know, well, you have a, you have a great podcast. You've got several books other than the one we're talking about today. You do coaching. Tell us about your practice, you know, where we can find you and what kind of programs that you offer. We, you can find a lot of what we do on eatmovelive52.com and also on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash eatmovelive52. (laughs) And, uh, from, from the website, you can also come out to Instagram and follow us there. But one thing that we're really passionate about is creating an online community of people who support each other because we believe that we really are better together. And oh, I love that you're talking about this. I, I was actually going to mention it. Yes, the community aspect. Oh, it's so great because it's we we've been sold a lie. I'm going to be really blunt here that this individualism, make yourself great. You don't have to depend on anyone. You can do it. It's just such crap. We need we need the loving, care, holding touch of a community. We are community creatures. We have these brains that evolved in tightly knit communities where tasks were shared and celebrations were shared and difficulties were shared. And there was dancing and chanting and drumming and all these incredible things that made us human and feel fully alive. And now we're all sort of like lost in our own worlds. Like, oh my God, I can't handle my kids. Of course you can't. You're not supposed to be taking care of your kids on your own. So when we start a health transformation, it's another thing that we start to do on our own. And so Roland and I really believe deeply that having a community, seeing other people do what you do, believe in what you do, support you through your obstacles is such a big deal. So we have started teaching more and more 
um, online classes, which are shaped like a course. So you can be, you know, in a four week course or a six week course. And just now in January, we're, we're launching a free 30 day course for people who want to come back to eating more real food, more wholesome food and making it really easy for them. So that's our, our thing that we're really focusing on this, this season of our work, really giving people actionable things that they can do daily, showing them how easy and pleasant it can be. Because if it doesn't give you pleasure and joy, you're just not going to do it. And creating this online community, whether it's on our Facebook discussion groups or um, the platform where we're hosting our, our classes so that people can know each other and they can really share. So that's a big deal. So when you come to eatmovelive52.com, it's going to show you, you know, many of our books that we've written are just on the first page there. You can drop in and check out the blog. We have a recent blog post um, about the holidays and healthy holiday gifts. We have some recipes on there. There's many different ways to reach us from there. It's kind of like the hub. So you know about everything we're doing if you land on the website. Yeah. And I want to make a comment about the community. It's something I was talking with someone else about the other day, which is aside from having people around you who are doing what you're doing so that they can motivate you if you're having a, 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 a lapse, you know, weakness moment or you, you're struggling. But also on the positive side, I can't even tell you when I went paleo primal and, and it changed my life and, and my gut health and everything. And then people started to come on board like a friend or a family member. Um, it, it, part of our commiseration is the excitement about it. Like we call each other and we're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Can you believe this? Can you believe that? And like, that's also why you need community too. I mean, half of my conversations are less about the struggles and more about how exciting and amazing this is. And that kind of keeps everyone on track too, because we're, you know, I can't even tell you how many times a friend has called me like, Oh my gosh, can I, I'm so glad we eat this way. This happened. I went this long without eating, didn't struggle. That would have never happened before. And for the, for the most part, once you're, once you're in it, then it's all like kind of positive commiseration. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. It's, it, we call it, we call it, what do we call it? Like the no, no <laughs> bragging, like just, you know, share your success. And it's not bragging. It's just like you're building this. Gosh, there's so much to be celebrated when things are working, right? It's like, oh, you won't like my clients sent me emojis of poops like daily. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. It, it's like, it's like, here's how many poops I got today. And it's like, oh, I'm so happy for you. You know, like for me, like the poop emojis and happy enough. Um, it, no, I agree. It should be like <laughs> shouting for joy and holding be, balloons. Yeah, and, <laughs> should be way more excited. <laughs> and so we should have like all the the um, <laughs> the scale, like the seven kinds of poop emojis. I was like, gonna say you should do an emoji for each one. We <laughs> totally have an emoji. We're gonna talk to our illustrator, see if Ellie can do it. But it'll be so it it's just so amazing to actually celebrate your success, and it's culturally accepted to you know, really be down on ourselves and be like, oh, I didn't do this right or I didn't do that right. I want to hear what you did well. So actually we'll do that. I have an emotional eating support group that I lead and it's something that I ask of them daily. What's one thing that you did for your self-care today that you're really glad or what's one thing that really brought you joy today in your body? And it's just building this positive relationship that we've lost. We've lost. 
Right. Or just the focus on the negative, right? People tend to just go to the downer and focus on what's wrong and not what's right. And look, if maybe, maybe you didn't accomplish the four things you wanted to regarding health that day, but if you had one healthy meal and you did that, that's better than you probably were four months ago. And that's to be, you need to pat yourself on the back for that because self-encouragement as well, right? So, so amazing. And the brain has a negativity bias, you know, like if you think from an evolutionary perspective. From a protective mechanism, right, yeah. Right, It's a protective, it's, it's, our, it's our old, you know, primal brains doing this. And in our evolving as humans, we should just know, oh, it's that thing the brain does. It's not you're bad or you failed or you did something weird. It's just the thing the brain does. It's the same thing your body does if you're walking down a dark alley. You're not thinking, oh, I wonder if there's a cute kitty down here, you know? <laughs> you're like, oh, my God, somebody's probably going to kill me in this dark alley, right? Like that's that's where your brain And that's goes. where ego is helpful because that's where, you know, it's keeping us alert and self-protective. But unfortunately, like we all know, that gets a little bit too strong in our society, that fight or flight or that, that worry or that fear. And, you know, with all of the water cooler talk, people are commiserating about on a regular basis, it just sort of like, then you kind of get into a complaining spiral and that can mm-hmm. jump right into whatever program you're trying to achieve. So at the very least, when it comes to that part of your life, right, you've got to take a different approach. You know, it's interesting. Um, Galena and I met like eight, I don't know how long ago, long time ago, eight years ago, nine years ago, something like that. We met online. We were both giving advice, fitness, and nutrition advice on a website. And we started to like each other and eventually met in person. And here we are. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, but one of the things about this forum that we, there was so much positivity on the forum. And, you know, I think I've seen other forums that are like this too, because they encouraged you to have like each person had their own like workout log or nutrition log. And they would go, there would be a section for it. And you would post like what you did today and people all of your online friends would come and say, Hey, good job. And you could ask a little personal question in there and people would answer. It was all of these things were so positive. And that part of, I mean, forums have kind of died off. I lost a lot of popularity in the last few years as Facebook becomes more, and there's nothing, you know, inherently wrong with Facebook, but we've lost that one aspect, I think of the, the positivity there's not this one place where you can go and see all of your friends in one place and see how they're all doing with fitness and nutrition and their lifestyle changes and sort of cheer them on. And uh, hopefully it's maybe something in the future will uh, maybe Facebook will add that. <laughs> maybe they will add that the positivity filter. Right. It is such a, um, mm. it's amazing to me that people want to sit around and just uh, put out that negativity under their own names and faces, at the very least, you'd think some people would like to <laughs> maybe, you know, and then there's the hiding behind it too. And um, reading all of that stuff can really knock a, a great morning into a negative tinge. So I, I try to stay away from yeah. uh, and filter any of that stuff uh, out of my mind. Yeah, yeah, same same here, you know, like news feeds blocked and, <laughs> and, and just, just being able to not let just not let momentum carry you. There's so few hours in a day. And like for me, my job requires me to be fully present in a very healthy way and align myself with all that is good and holy in this world. And it's really hard to align yourself with that if you surround yourself with the opposite. Right. And when you're, you know, because we have, you know, Mark's Daily Apple and the blog, and then there'll be comments and uh, you know, sometimes I don't really look at all of them, but there was uh, some comments when I posted my book and someone was like, 
yeah, whatever, this seems like something I've read before or whatever it was. But I was like, that's hilarious that someone totally judged a book by its cover like right on, and yeah. publicly. And then you're like, which well, is a dumb statement. And then also like, who are these people that are just online being negative? I mean, A, it's coming right back to you, people. It's going to come right back to you. So so good luck with that, number one. And, and you know what I mean? And number two, it's just like, what are you putting out into the world? Like what kind of time, if you have to make people feel, if you want to really hit people and, and, and bug people, ooh, you know, you're not only asking for it back, but that is a, that's a rough pattern that, um, it, it said, it says you don't really like yourself and you've got to put other people down to make yourself feel better. And, and that's true with bullying too, you know, of course, all of it. And yeah. I'm glad, you know, Mark's Daily Apple, that was one of my first, it was before I even knew what, paleo and primal was i was reading like i loved the recipes like he had so you know and if you needed to find something out about canola oil i mean you could just basically you could go back in the day you could just google the you know google or go on the search and you could find something and it was so well you know well researched and and written in such a friendly way it made it so easy to share but one of the things that i noticed about the blog post comments was everyone was so kind and friendly there and so that was, it really helped. So whatever Mark did at the beginning to keep the positivity going really sort of worked because it got me hooked and a lot of our clients and readers as well. Yeah. And I think for the most part, it is that way. I don't, it's, it, but you know, you get it, you get, you see an occasional comment and you're like, come on, oh, jumpers, who are these people? <laughs> well, he's a, he's a new guy. Right, right, right. New guy popped up. Um, so in wrapping it up, let we know how to find you. What would you like to leave our audience with? I just want to say, you know, take each day as if it's a blank canvas and just make it your own. Think about what is the most caring, self-caring, self-nourishing way you can eat and move and treat yourself. And just ask yourself that one thing. What's the most caring thing I can do today at this meal or through my movement practice? And expect that things won't be perfect. Perfection is absolutely impossible and it is a sure road to misery. So don't expect it. Don't want it. Just, you know, divorce perfection and you will you will do really, really, really well. Well said. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And again, it's Eat Well, Move Well, Live Well, 52 Ways to Feel Better in a Week is the new book. And the website is eatmovelive52.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having thank us. You. Thank you so much. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here, and I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching, and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. We also have payment plans available, so you can start immediately for just a dollar down. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? 
To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.